Welcome in everyone and thank you for listening to the 122nd ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Sleepy Kyle? <laughs> I'm great, Cameron. How are you? I'm great. I was great an hour ago, hour and a half ago, when I showed up to the studio to record alongside producer Cameron. And Kyle, you were nowhere to be seen. <laughs> uh, Did you expect this to come up? A wow. little bit, okay. a little bit, um, which is totally fine. I deserve it. Um, we need to let every, all the folks know how irresponsible I am. <laughs> uh, but we were supposed to be here at 8 o'clock this morning. seems like half the time I'm telling some story about how I'm late or something. But we were supposed to be here at 8 o'clock this morning. I uh, set many alarms and woke up at the appropriate time, uh, fell back asleep, and then re-woke up, and it, the, the, my phone said 8.25. And I said, oh, no. Yeah. Well. And I live kind of far away from here so i knew that was gonna make the boys have to wait for a while so i got here about an hour late so that is not great so i apologize for that we had to give you a hard time but uh, obviously it's not that big of a deal huge deal i have nothing better to do cameron has nothing better to do well all day <laughs> <laughs> um we gotta talk about a lot of things here kyle as per usual this time of year we've got football we've got basketball football's over uh, no bowl game. 2020 is over. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Are we putting this out today? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay. Um, basketball might as well be over. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, let's, let's jump right in with some news, though. This is pretty much all football news now that the season's over. Uh, first thing on my list here is indoor practice facility. Uh, the Missouri Sports Podcast donated $10 million so that... Mizzou could have a new indoor, full-size indoor practice facility. You're welcome, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been all that YouTube ad <laughs> revenue just went <laughs> I was straight, about to say that. Just reinvested that right back into the program. Yeah, um, it seems weird to think that. Yeah, when I see video of their current indoor facility, I feel like it looks pretty nice, but apparently it's not a full 100-yard field, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, so I guess uh, that was something that Coach Drinkwitz wanted from the day he was he was hired, um, understandably. So he's going to get that. Yep. Anonymous donor. Kyle had us like half, con- uh, like 25% convinced <laughs> that they did a, a huge uh, fundraiser of trying to get 10 million people to donate $1. That we had never heard of. Yes. Yeah, you guys really actually bought that. I was surprised. <laughs> like more so than I thought. Yeah, I was like, I don't think that's true. But you just like said it so nonchalant that I was like, oh, did I, how did I miss this? Yeah. It's not even 10 million people in Missouri, but they have they did it. They figured it out. <laughs> Thanks, not, Jim Sterk. There's not 10 million men, women, and children to donate $1 <laughs> in this whole entire state of Missouri. I had a couple $3 donors. <laughs> that makes a big difference. Um, we got a, a few people that are back, folks. We have some seniors that are returning for their extra year of eligibility, and that includes Michael Mayetti, Akeo Byers, and Kiki Chisholm. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's big news. Um, that really helps. Uh, obviously, there's a, some gaps in recruiting, and uh, we have a really nice class coming in this year. But it's really hard for freshmen to come in and, and contribute right away. So any experienced senior we can have come back is great and i really think those are some impact guys at impact positions that is very helpful and i think also kobe whiteside has hinted that he will probably return as well so um that's nice yeah like you said those are three positions that we desperately need bodies i mean pretty much i would take them anywhere but um yeah those in particular will be very helpful and uh, Kobe Whiteside would be a huge addition to next year's team. Uh, Mason Pack and Boo Smith are on scholarship, and uh, perhaps, I can't remember, did Mason Pack also use another year of eligibility, or is it, was it just a scholarship announcement? Yeah, I think he's going to return for his last year as a fifth-year senior, I guess, which he played fairly well at um, at safety towards the end of this year, and that's a position that might be a, a little bit more wide open next year. He had that big uh, block punt, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then obviously we saw Smith making plays on the offense, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully that continues. So no bowl game. 
let's talk about that story a little bit that kind of that became a thing holy cow yeah um i never would have imagined this this not in the like the way this season has gone yeah like if you if you were surprised by a bowl game getting canceled i'm not sure you're living in reality yeah so yeah there's already been you know plenty of bowl games get canceled there's been plenty of teams opt out of their bowls there's been obviously players opt out that are moving on so obviously missouri was supposed to play iowa in the music city bowl in nashville and iowa was we weren't sure that the game would get played because of iowa at first because Mm -hmm. they were coming off of a week-long pause in football activities due to covid and then turns out that actually missouri had too many positive tests after the um mississippi state game and because of missouri they were unable to play the bowl game and iowa fans lost their minds inexplicably Mm -hmm. like how can you not understand the situation like if the bowl game was supposed to happen a week earlier it wouldn't have happened because of iowa Mm -hmm. and iowa had you know their last game against michigan was canceled due to covid Mm -hmm. and so they had two weeks to get over all of that and be ready for the game and basically the same situation happened just like a week delayed for missouri where they were shorthanded for mississippi state that caused more they got more covid stuff because of that game and just the timeline was too quick to get ready for this bowl game yeah i think iowa fans are especially angry well not only because they had finished their season well they were on like a six game winning streak they probably were feeling like they were on top of the world and were probably they probably they all obviously made it very obvious they felt like they were going to win this bowl game and beat an sec team they thought they should have been playing in the big big 10 championship yeah probably and uh so not only were they just really feeling good about themselves, um, but I think they were angry that Missouri sent players home for Christmas, which apparently Iowa did not do. And you know, I think they all thought that you know all the Missouri guys got COVID when they went home and stuff. And that timeline, I think, would have been way too quick of a turnaround. Right. They wouldn't have been showing symptoms yet. So <clears throat> whatever. That's a whole. That's a whole thing. Um, I, I, they did not get COVID because they went home for Christmas. Whatever. Right. I, I feel like after this season somebody players, might have but we wouldn't know that until exactly like a couple days from now yeah so you know i think coach Drinkwitz said all the right things in the in the press conference that the players do not deserve to get any hate for this and it's really it's it's out of line honestly at this point like how ridiculous it's gotten and how much has been blown out of proportion um but he said if anyone's to blame it's me i send i must i send him home for christmas uh, like God, he didn't say this, but God forbid we, yeah. we he the players see their families for Christmas after the, the season it's been. So I didn't have a problem whatsoever with with that. Um, the bowl game, in all reality, and especially in this season, just isn't that important. Yeah, yeah, it's it's unfortunate to just have the season end like it did. It, I mean, it kind of reminds you of um, reminds me of the college basketball season last year, yeah. where. You know, Missouri played that last home game against Alabama, and then season's over. Yeah. No, no postseason. No so it warning. Is, it is kind of um, disappointing, but yeah, I mean, would, would I have loved to see them play Iowa? Sure, that probably would have been a fun game. And who doesn't love watching their team play in a bowl game? Of yeah. course, everyone wanted that game to happen. Right. And but. you want the opportunity to say that Drinkwitz got a bowl win his first season at Missouri. I mean, you just. There's lots of little storylines that could have been great for Missouri. Just the fact that they played in a bowl game, you know, five years from now, potentially when you're, you could say, you know, uh, Missouri was in the Music City Bowl, the this bowl, this bowl, this bowl. So, yeah, all of that would have been nice win or win or loss against uh, Iowa. Mm-hmm. I say uh, put them on the schedule a few years from now. <laughs> I mean, I the idea that that Missouri was scared to play Iowa like Eli Drinkwitz made it clear like three weeks ago we want to play in a bowl game oh yeah we are not going to opt out of a bowl game whatever you give us we'll do we're excited for it we think it's going to be actually a good one he was probably super excited for this matchup Mm. against a ranked Big Ten team yeah I mean maybe there's probably some Mizzou fans that are like oof 
you know, dodged a bullet there, we were probably going to lose to Iowa, which that's sure. possible. But there's no way the coaching staff or the administration is thinking that. No. So with that, the football season is over. They finished the season at 5-5. Five and five, And uh, I'll run you through, Kyle, just to jog your memory real quick, how the season went down. So opened the year with losses to Alabama and Tennessee. Bounced back and beat LSU and Kentucky. Lost to Florida. Then a three-game winning streak. They beat South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas. And then ended the season by losing to Georgia and Mississippi State. You got any just like overall thoughts on the season now that it's over? Yeah, first of all, I really wish we could have switched the Tennessee and Georgia games because Tennessee was actually a pretty good team at the beginning of this year. And they ran all over us and they fell off the face of the earth like they typically do. It seems like they're actually pretty good at most seasons, at least for one point or another. And then, But they can't be good for a whole year. Uh, so I wish we would have played them at the end, and I wish we would have played Georgia at the beginning of the season because they were just yeah. trying to figure out their quarterback situation. Right. And uh, I'm not saying we would have beat Georgia or anything, but they were way better at the end of the season than they were at the beginning. Uh, but overall, man, you just can't really complain about how this season uh, went. The end of the season didn't go how we wanted it to. It kind of felt like we kind of sputtered and ran out of ran out of juice there at the end. But uh, I would say this, this season had – more wins more for more uh, like fun moments more memories than i ever could have dreamed that we would have had out of a out of a, a first year season with a new coach in uh, the middle of a pandemic i'm just happy that we were able to play the season uh record wise this went basically exactly like you predicted in the preseason and i thought you were being very optimistic um i think i think you you had him beat in kentucky um and then obviously you had them beating Mississippi State instead of LSU. So really that, and obviously if we would have known how bad LSU was going to be, then that wouldn't have been so, that wouldn't have been overly optimistic. Um, yeah, because it was at home too. Right. Um, but LSU was like preseason top 10 before they lost to Mississippi State early in the season. Um, that Mississippi State game for Missouri is really the only one that I look at that's like a real missed opportunity to, I mean, uh, going from five wins to six wins, whatever, what does that really do for you? But um, that's the only game that I'm really disappointed in looking back at the season as a whole. Yeah, the Mississippi State game was was definitely not real close and probably should have been. I don't know what, th- what happens in that game if they play – uh, a month ago um, when it was like originally scheduled um, I definitely feel like this Missouri team didn't quite have as much energy maybe as they did they didn't have as many players and that, available. that's also a big thing too but yeah I, I feel like early in the season you know something we uh, a kind of a narrative we discussed a lot was Missouri kind of getting hit in the mouth and then bouncing back even within the same game they mm-hmm. would just respond and it kind of reminded me of the Barry Odom teams against Mississippi State a little bit where they started off really well, got hit in the mouth, and something bad happened where they muffed the punt, and then it just they never seemed to really recover. Yeah. Um, so I, w- I, get, I definitely would have liked to seen that game played earlier in the season, and maybe a different outcome happens. But yeah, for the most part, though, Missouri did very well in their like in their toss up games, and that's kind of what can make or break a season. Yeah, and that Mississippi State game is is pretty much the only game. Help me if you think I'm mistaken where uh that was in my mind Connor Basilak's worst game because he may have had worse stats against Florida or Georgia but if he plays up to his potential like he had earlier in the season then he's able to keep them in that game by just limiting mistakes Mm -hmm. and he wasn't able to do that and that just exacerbated the issue Uh, so that's one that I will look back on and wish they could have had um, but at the same time, I picked him to win three games this season. And there was, I feel like there was kind of like this roller coaster of um, expectations, at least for me. So like preseason, I'm not expecting anything. I'm like, literally this team could win two games mm-hmm. and that wouldn't shock me. Um, and I thought five was like the very best possible scenario. And after they lose to Alabama and Tennessee, games we thought they would lose to it was just like, well, we're still on that same path, pessimistic outlook. 
but then they came back and beat LSU and Kentucky in somewhat surprising fashion in the way that they just kind of played completely. We talked about, you know, back when it happened, they played two completely different styles of games Mm -hmm. and won them both. And there was, I was kind of like, had my eyes open to like, okay, this offense actually can do something. And, you know, we figured something out kind of came back and laid an egg against Florida and that kind of like tempered expectations again. But then that three game winning streak, I was thinking like, okay, you know, maybe we have a chance against Georgia. We're going to be ranked. We should definitely finish the season with at least six wins. And so then it kind of tailed off in uh, not such a great way, but it was just kind of interesting. Like you mentioned, if the games get rearranged a little bit, or even if they're played more like they were supposed to at the beginning of the season, then that would have changed how I was feeling week to week based on the momentum of the season. Yeah, I am really glad that they pulled out the win against Arkansas. I think if they found if they if they wouldn't have found a way to win that, it, this season might have felt a little bit more disappointing now. And I was definitely feeling like at that point, after we beat Arkansas, really anything can happen the rest of the season. I would still feel like this is an overwhelming success. Was, and they obviously did lose the next two games, and I still feel like it was an overwhelming success. So... Um, I, I kind of feel like that was the the end of the road as far as Missouri playing with the passion and energy that they did for the um, you know, prior to the Arkansas game. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, o- overall, um, I-, I would say I'm very satisfied with how the, with how the season went. Um, I think I'm really obviously excited about the coaching staff and the direction that that's going in and recruiting. Um, I think Coach Drinkwood showed – some pretty impressive things this season with what he was able to do with the players he has and the amount of players he has and I think I was impressed with him outside of uh, the football game too just how he was able to navigate a pandemic and uh, and the things he said I thought were he, he was just he was always on point it felt like and he he rarely misses and um, <clears throat> he definitely he knows what he's doing and I think that's what we felt like we probably signed up for you know that he was promising from the moment he has arrived at Missouri and I think he really lived up to expectations and probably exceeded them yeah and when you add into the on the field stuff and all of that you add in the recruiting class that he's landed as well it's definitely looking good for his first season in Columbia Um, and also just the fact that you can look at the standings and see Missouri third in the east behind just uh, Florida and Georgia Mm -hmm. who are both ranked in the top 10 that's kind of where you want Missouri to be you know that third or fourth in the east and then occasionally challenging for the top spot yeah Um, that's kind of where they were for a little bit um, there under Pinkle and obviously we're pretty we're not we're not uh, on this podcast we're not going to be expecting to win the east every year or even be competing for the east every year um so if the low seasons for for missouri football for the next 20 years are something like this season or even slightly worse i think that's totally manageable and that's also us obviously settling for mediocrity but uh i don't know just trying to be realistic you're not going to be georgia and just be at the top of the east it's your division you know, knock us off of the, the top spot. It's going to be Missouri's job to build up a team over a couple of years that can knock Georgia off the top spot, knock Florida off the top spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you look at um, Missouri's finishes in the SEC East, since they joined the SEC, obviously they had two two years they were on top, but I'm pretty sure we've had two or three years we've been close to the bottom too. We've been, we've been kind of all over the place. So a third-place finish in a crazy year honestly does feel really good. Uh, I was looking at some of the stats. Obviously, we know all about Larry Roundtree's season um, and how he is now the number one rusher as far as running backs are concerned in Mizzou history. There was a chance. I mean, who would have thought that he would have actually had a chance to come back and challenge Brad Smith's record? So, Brad Smith, you can rest easy. This was the only chance that your record was going to be broken and uh, Larry Roundtree is moving on. From is the, he? Yeah. For sure? Well, he's uh, going to be in the Senior Bowl. That's the true. Reese's thing. So um, I imagine he probably is moving on. You can't come back after a certain point with the Senior Bowl. So yeah, he, he's gone. 
and uh, the record books thank him. Brad Smith thanks him, and that that's just so crazy that like that's easily a record that would just never be touched. And then this crazy thing happened where actually it just so happened that Larry Roundtree had enough yards to be within striking distance and then randomly had the opportunity to come back for another season. So it was that close to being threatened. You think Brad Smith would have been happy for him though, even with a fifth year, like a kind of a crazy freak thing like this? I think, yes, he would have been happy for him, but also he'd have been like... Kind of bitter about it? Well, it had just been easy to be like, well, yeah, you had an extra season. So we'll have him on. We'll ask him. Yeah, we'll have to make sure we ask him that. Uh, Connor Bazelak finished with 2,366 passing yards, seven touchdowns, six interceptions, completing 67% of his passes. Um, solid season for a freshman. I was trying to find in the record books if they broke it down by most passing yards for a freshman, sophomore, mm. junior. I couldn't find it. But I'd have to think that that's pretty hep- pretty high up on the list of Mizzou freshmen uh, for single season passing. And I was going to look at the SEC leaderboards because there's several Mizzou players, offensive players on that. So Connor Bays like finished fourth in the SEC in passing yards. Um, Larry Roundtree finished fourth in rushing yards, and Nick Bolton finished fifth in tackles with 95. And Trajan Jeffcoat finished second with six sacks on the season. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we can all be pretty excited about Basilak's uh, future and obviously had some up and downs this season, but um, I'm trying to think of, you know, someone – that has that played four years at, at Mizzou at, for, at quarterback and obviously Drew Drew Lock comes to mind and his freshman year was pretty rough and obviously he entered the season he wasn't supposed not to start a, any games not expecting to play but Missouri's offense was awful that year I think 2015 very anemic and it didn't have very many wide receiver playmakers or anything like that and I would say Bazelak had a lot better season this year his freshman year than than Drew had his freshman year and obviously we saw what uh development Drew Locke made in his time at Mizzou so you know I I totally expect Basilek to continue to get better I mean I think this guy is the limit for him at Mizzou and if the same coaching staff or, or a similar coaching staff remains in his whole time here and even if assuming he does stay the quarterback for four or five years uh, I think he could be really good so just give me some kind of prediction for next year. It's way too early to know anything, but Bazelak, um, Cook. Brady Cook and Tyler Macon. Yeah, so, you know, any thoughts on that? I mean, it just seems so crazy that we're talking about fourth most passing yards in the SEC as a freshman, one of the best, better freshman uh, quarterback seasons Missouri's had. And maybe he is not the starter next year. And, and just the fact, the only thing that really gives me pause is the fact that he didn't start the season as the starter. Yeah. Like there was something happening in camp or in practices that he just wasn't able to grab the starting job. And it really makes me wonder if a similar thing could happen this this coming off season yeah when you have two other guys i do think that some of the most appealing qualities about basilac are some of his kind of in-game like his poise and his ability to kind of stay under control in the moment and just seem to be pretty clutch and those are those are things that you can't they're like intangibles that you can't really see in practice i think and uh whenever the lights come on you know i'm sure players play differently than they do in practice and basilac stayed consistent and you know, some of his measurables and, you know, his arm strength probably don't blow you away. Uh, you know, he's not, uh, he's definitely not a bad athlete. Um, and he's got a decent arm and puts a good touch on the ball and stuff like that. But um, I do think that some of his intangibles that make him a great in-game quarterback were maybe something that just wasn't apparent to them yet. And they weren't able to see until he was put in the game and succeeded. But I don't know, next year will be interesting. Uh I, I, I again I think Basilak will be the starter uh well, the back of the situation I have no idea what's gonna happen because you know Brady Cook looked okay and mm-hmm. when he came in and you know had a nice touchdown pass and you know but Tyler Macon he's really talented too and he's gonna enroll early so he'll have that extra six months to prepare um for the season like he'll be here way ahead of most of his 
his classmates. So. And you're talking about with Macon, he has the arm strength oh, yeah. to just, I mean, if you're just running some drills, I think <clears throat> he's going to look incredible. Yeah, in practice, I do. I, I agree. I think Tyler Macon has those has those skills that probably jump off the page a little bit more. Uh, he showcased that. That's like the perfect thing for him, like that Elite 11 camp where you're just like not really going up against defenses and you can yeah. just show your raw athleticism. Right. Um, I, and he obviously really impressed the coaches there. So I could definitely see him doing the same thing in preseason camp at Missouri. For sure. And <clears throat> they didn't play a senior year, so we weren't really – we haven't seen him play in a while. And so he might have a little bit of rust as far as in-game uh, intangibles go. I, I really don't know. Um, but I, I – I've heard that he's done a lot of winning in his yeah. life. Uh, and so, I mean, he just did not lose at East St. Louis. So um, in high school, he was a great um, in-game quarterback as far as uh, decision-making and just winning games. So well, we hope that, that that transfers. But sometimes it's just tough to know until you really see it. Missouri hasn't had a freshman wide receiver come in and really contribute a ton um, lately. Do you think that changes with Dominic Lovett, or are we are we setting ourselves up for disappointment if we are expecting him to come in and contribute? Yeah, I, I don't think that we see a lot of him next year, um, but I, I think he will be a great player in his time here. But uh, no, I, I don't think he'll crack the rotation all that much next year, just because we have a decent amount of experience and Chisholm coming back too, and you know we actually have a, a decent amount of guys in, in the wide receiver room next year. But we'll see. If the Larry Roundtree-Tyler Beatty combination is a uh, 10 out of 10, where are you pegging uh, a Tyler Beatty? Um, Elijah Young. What? Elijah yes, Young. Elijah Young backfield. Um, I'll say an 8. I still think they can be really good. I, 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 Elijah, it's kind of interesting because I, I do think Elijah Young is uh, – kind of the, uh, a similar style to Roundtree where I think he'll be used on the ground um, a lot primarily and then Tyler Beatty will probably continue the role that he's in a little bit I don't think Tyler Beatty will take over the Larry Roundtree role and get 35 carries a game or anything but you probably will see a more uh, even split didn't he get like 38 carries in a game in, in one game yeah. yeah okay well that was supposed to be hyperbolic I got anyways um I do think that we'll probably see an, a more even split of carries, and, and Beatty will probably be more um, involved, but I think we'll see a lot of Elijah Young next year. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I hope you're right on that. Uh, and, I, and I like the idea of the, them just handing it off to Beatty more. Yeah, I and do too. a little bit more balance there, but I think maybe, maybe these two are a little bit more interchangeable than Beatty yeah. and Roundtree were. Um, I, think, I think you're right, and I think that – coach Drinkwitz will love that for play calling yeah. i think he'll be able to disguise your plays better with those with those two guys yeah i'm excited for that um defensively how how much are we gonna how much is it gonna suck losing nick bolton it's gonna suck and we may lose jamal brooks too who's his, who's his backup right now um because he's a senior he has uh, obviously he seems like a candidate to me that would that would be great for returning for this year because he's a senior he knows the playbook um he's a talented kid but just always had somebody in front of him didn't get a whole lot of playing time outside of like special teams and stuff i would feel like this would be the perfect year mm -hmm. to come back and and finally get to see the 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 field for the whole year probably um but we we don't know what's going to happen there uh I don't even know if Ryan Walters will still be the DC, just because I think he's kind of an up and comer in the, in the industry, and I think it's very possible he gets poached. Um, but you know, so that we may see an entire defensive scheme change. I don't know. That's again, that's kind of uh, uh, speculative and it's kind of mm -hmm. out there. But um, it's just, I think it depends. If Ryan Walters is still here, um, I think they can figure it out. I think they've got uh, enough guys that have that have run this defense for for several years now. Um, I don't know. I'm excited about uh, a lot of the defensive linemen coming back. Um, I also I think that I'm a little bit concerned that at times they weren't great this year, and you got the same guys coming back. I'm I'm afraid that they might be mediocre again. Um, but I still think that that's I still think that's uh, overwhelming positive that they are coming back just to fill in some gaps with new people coming in and all that stuff. But I don't know. I, it, 
I think uh, losing Gillespie and uh, Bledsoe will will hurt quite a bit. Yeah. yeah, almost probably as much as Bolton at times. Yeah, I think they had the ability to kind of cover up some weaknesses for Missouri this season in the same way that Nick Bolton did uh, covered up some weaknesses for the defensive line at times. I mm-hmm. think. Um, I was going to ask you who your offensive and defensive MVP for the season were, but I mean, is it is there any? I mean, obviously Nick Bolton and Larry Roundtree, like that's. Those are yeah. the easiest. I answers. mean, MVP, yes. I mean, maybe if you wanted to ask me, my like surprise MVP or surprised valuable player, mm-hmm. it would probably be. Uh, well, Martez Manuel would would be my easy pick on defense because he came out of nowhere and uh, on offense. As far as kind of a surprise, I mean, it'd have to be probably Bazelak or Larry yeah. Borum, probably. Yeah. Um. Same in the in a similar vein. Who are you most excited about seeing return? Who who, when you think about next season, is it Manuel is on the defense that's that you're most excited to see play next year? I'd maybe throw Jeff Coat in there to see what he can do with a full off season under his belt and see if teams figure him out or if he's able to rack up some sacks again. Yeah, I think it's those two guys are obviously great candidates. Um, I don't know. I. I agree, and I probably have to throw Jarvis Ware out there too, just because he had kind of a weird season. He was injured mm-hmm. and um, kind of had it up and downs. But I, I definitely think he's just as talented as some of those other guys, and I think he has the potential to be to be great. Um, Ennis Rakestraw was kind of, was obviously a guy that played the whole season mm-hmm. and didn't really hear much about him, which is probably what you want to hear out of a cornerback, I guess. Uh, he didn't have any interceptions or anything, but um, it's kind of one of those positions where you don't really want your name called because it right. probably means you got burned or something like yeah. that so he, and, and he, he was played, a freshman yeah he played very solid all season yeah um i think honestly i'm most excited for kiki chisholm coming back on offense because obviously we didn't know he was coming back um he made that decision but he made some huge plays down the stretch and um was able to get more involved in the offense as the season went on so yeah he was really good in the second half that of the can year. continue into a full season next year and obviously they're going to need him, as we've discussed. All right. Do you think Hazleton's going to come back? Uh, I'd take him. That's for sure. I don't know. His The way his playing time went this season was kind of odd. And personally, I couldn't ever find a, a terrific reason why he wasn't on the field more. Because it's not like other... I mean, there was a stretch. I mean, against LSU... Uh, some other wide receivers kind of stole the show a little bit. I mean, Towski Dove obviously had a really good season. I kind of forgot about him. Yeah, yeah. he he had a, a phenomenal season as well. But I don't think as the season progressed, there just wasn't a great reason, in my opinion, for Hazleton to be buried on the depth chart. And uh, he was like playing with the second string in some games. Yeah. Like when he caught the touchdown pass from Brady Cook. Yeah. So, yeah, he had a strange season as well, and I don't know if that was some weird coach motivation kind of stuff, or I, I don't know what what was going on there. But maybe, you know, with that with how the season went, maybe he's not so eager yeah. to come back and play another year. That makes sense. He's he would probably be one of our most physically gifted wide receivers, so it would be it would be definitely nice to get him back for for another year. It just takes time to integrate into mm-hmm. an offense, and we saw that with Chisholm. It just you, and we see that with freshmen every year. It's yeah. so hard to just walk into especially Chisholm I mean he I'm pretty sure he showed up in the summer um that was a late transaction if you will and uh I don't know it just takes time and he was coming from a completely different level of football yes yeah it seemed like Hazleton would be able to translate right away right but obviously you got to figure out you know on the same page as your quarterback and everything and he thought uh we thought Sean Robinson was going to be the quarterback (laughs) so well, that was Mizzou football 2020. Um, I wish, I think maybe if they were able to beat Mississippi State, they would be just a little bit rosier outlook. Definitely. And you could look back on the season a little bit more fondly, and we'd have that win fresh in our minds. But that one was a little bit inexplicable. We'll move on to 2021 with a great recruiting class, some great returning players, and a coaching staff that seems like they can – get it done um speaking of coaching you mentioned ryan walters uh 
his name's been out there the last couple of seasons as far as maybe moving on to a head coaching job or a better DC spot. Um, I saw Barry Odom's name being mentioned for the LSU defensive coordinator spot mm-hmm. uh, vacated by Bo Pelini, uh, because he was let go. And I actually did not know that he was let go. Yeah. I had not heard about that. Well, they parted ways. Okay, uh, wow. After one season. Yeah. Interesting. And now Barry Odom's name has been floated out as potential replacement. I honestly would not mind that one bit if he moved on from Arkansas because I think he's a great, great coordinator, and I don't want to play him again at Arkansas. That was weird, and I I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. I I, I don't think uh, Missouri is scoring 50 points against uh, Barry Odom-led Arkansas defense very many times. Probably not. So better just take that win. I absolutely think <clears throat> that he he will not be at Arkansas very long. I think that he'll get a better DC job. I think he may uh, get even a head coaching job again at a at a lower level school or something like that. Um, yeah. But oh, he's you know obviously young enough to yeah be a head coach for at some place for a long time still. Yeah, I mean he was learning on the job for sure at Mizzou, and a lot of things didn't go that well when he was here. Yeah. But it's very possible that he kind of learned some of his experience, knows what he'd do different at a different yeah. place. And He's be, taking and a much more in. traditional path through the coaching ranks this time around yeah. than he did previously. All right, we don't have any. We don't have to pick any games this week, do we? I mean, we don't get to. Kyle won. It's over. It's done. It's over. It's done. congratulations, it's done. Kyle. <laughs> Uh, Thanks for remembering this week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the one week we don't have to do it. I'm like ready to talk about basketball and remember that I usually have to stop so we can (laughs) pick games. What do I normally forget at this point in the show? (laughs) Uh, So Missouri had a big matchup with Tennessee. Didn't go so well. Uh, Tennessee's really, really good. Anything else to add, Kyle? Uh, That covers it. See you next week. (laughs) Tennessee is, is very good. And now we, I think we should all be hoping that they just destroy the SEC and As win like 15 conference games and the battle for two through spots two through eight, I think, are just like yeah. a complete toss up. So Missouri still squarely in the mix for that double buy in the SEC tournament, I think. Um, they got to figure out something on offense. Yeah. And... Um, but really, I mean, I was asked by some family members last night when I was watching the game, like, well, what, well you know, they're ranked 12. Like, what's the, like, what's the outlook here? And I was like, well, obviously, hindsight after this Tennessee game, they're 12 ranking. Like, I don't want to use the fraudulent word, but <laughs> the 12 ranking, that was something. Yeah, I think Tennessee's better than seven, and I think Missouri is not as good as 12. Yeah. And I would have said that before the Tennessee I game. I would have as well. Um, I think that for whatever the Illinois game is every single year, that's just like, it doesn't matter how good the teams are. Um, anything can happen in that game. Missouri just seems to have Illinois number recently. Um, that that was a huge win has always gone in streaks kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it has. And that that was a huge win. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I do think that the, the general public overreacted a little bit too much to that win and uh which is totally fine i mean i've been seeing all these like national writers putting missouri in their top tens and stuff and i'm like wow this is really exciting but as somebody who has watched missouri play these exact players play for years now i'm not sure that they're this good right but hey maybe so yeah now that's not to say that they couldn't work their way back into you know top 15 situation but knowing that they were starting the conference season with tennessee and knowing that Tennessee was supposed to be good, and they're even better than people thought preseason. Um, you just knew kind of, and even beyond the Tennessee game, Missouri's got a rough stretch here. Mm. You knew they were going to drop a few, two, one to three games, <laughs> and uh, that their ranking would kind of plummet for a, a time being. Yeah. But there's opportunities later in the season for some winning streaks, and they could work themselves right back into that You know, top 20 top 15 situation yeah the second half of the season is much more friendly than the first half of the sec slate but you know if it it feels like we're feels like we're down bad right now because (laughs) we just got destroyed 
and and we just and like the Bradley game was basically a loss. Yeah. So essentially, yeah. So there's we've had a little bit of a rough stretch, but I would say win loss wise, nothing surprising has happened. <clears throat> we'll you know we'll be fine. We'll be able to bounce back. I still think that Missouri um, has a very good shot for that that top four in the SEC, which should be the goal this year for sure. And uh, you know I I just I think Tennessee is so far beyond everyone else in the league. I think there's no reason why they shouldn't run away with it. Um, to come in to Missouri's still a top 25 team, I think. To come into yeah. a top 25 team's arena and just absolutely smack them from yeah. beginning to end, I mean, dominate both ends. They are very, very good, and it was so frustrating to watch to play against them because they're good at everything. Yeah, they they can. They you're like imagine making shots. Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah they they make shots from everywhere on the court. They they're, couldn't miss. They literally started the the game seven for seven yeah. and. We're shooting like 65% from the field at halftime. Finished the game, I think, shooting like right around 60%. Right. And Missouri shot like 30-something percent. And so, yeah, so they're making everything. They defend everywhere. They defend the perimeter. They defend inside. They're so long. Like, Eves Pons is so, like, he's just everywhere. Like, yeah. he's and he's not even the player that will necessarily show up in the st- stat sheet. And he's not going to – he's probably not going to score 25 a night. But he just impacts every single play and he's so pesky and he's just so long and and he just he's such a smart basketball player where he is able to just make plays on the offensive end even if he's not the one scoring mm-hmm. he makes the right read and he he had some some huge dunks late in the game that would just came off of easy cuts like he's just reading the defense and knows where to be and then yeah. he also is able to make the right pass when other players are doing that Man, it just having a player like that just makes everything run so smoothly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they uh, they're good at all five positions on the floor. They have a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, they there's really no reason why they shouldn't win the league and potentially go f- to the Final Four. They're really that good. Yeah, there there were a few moments in this game. I mean, the the, the hot start that Tennessee had was just like demoralizing. Um, they they couldn't miss. And, you know, I think it was really quickly, it was like 21 to 4. Yeah, something like that. And um, Missouri's offensive struggles continued. Um, there, was a, there was a weird moment after I was kind of like, you know, pretty bummed out at how the game was going. Um, Missouri fought back a little bit, went on a, like a mini run to cut it to 12 ish. I'm going to get this mixed up a little bit. But they, before they cut it to 12, um, John Fulkerson like fell down and hurt his wrist or hand or something and Tennessee had the ball but they were kind of scrambling they had a guy out of the play because he's laying on the ground and you know the shot clock's counting down and they just blow the play dead and basically give Tennessee a timeout so that they can check on this guy because he was writhing in pain like he, he was acting like he was in the most pain like painful situation of his life like yeah. he broke his wrist in 48 spots and i was like totally ready to believe that <laughs> me too <laughs> and i'm like yeah like stop the game get yeah. this guy get this guy some help and so then they stop the game and he just stays out he there just pops right back up and he's good not only does he stay out there he gets the ball on the on the end of this possession and makes a long two just like it's the easiest thing in the world and uh mizzou fans in the building were booing and the announcers yeah. were uh, i think sunvold you know caught on like yeah they're upset because he was hurt we thought and then he just like stayed out there it's yeah. like uh, they were comparing it to when a football player like stays down yeah. but the football player if you stop the game for them they have to come out of the game and i just couldn't believe that the way that went down it was just like i was already frustrated at yes, how the game was that going. was like the cherry on top yeah okay which which is a worse scenario like jumping out to a lead like okay basically the illinois game where we're winning the whole game and then imagine like if illinois came back and won that game at the very end or just getting blasted from the start and never having a shot which is worse like like a game like last night i would take last night over losing a game like not forget the who the opponent right, is but just the, the style of like yeah of getting out getting out front and then leading the whole game and then losing at yeah. the very end like we've seen before against like florida lsu right uh west virginia because that's a different back. kind of painful yeah oh i would take the blowout every time i yeah. think over like having the lead and just knowing this team's going to claw back into it and they're just going to make a play or yeah and 
And then when they do, yeah. it's like, oh. yeah. Especially when you're the underdog, I feel like Missouri's been in that spot, yeah. you know, six or seven times. Yeah, the it last seems like it's always seasons. against LSU. <laughs> yeah, where Missouri's not supposed to win, and they jump out to a fast start and have the lead almost the whole game, and then lose it. Yeah, that's when it's just like, okay, Missouri was never supposed to win this game, so it's inevitable that this team's going to come back on us. And um, if it was, if you're playing a team that you're supposed to beat, and they and they come back and beat you, then it is like even more demoralizing, I guess. But I don't know. There's something about maybe that would be the worst of all of them because you know you were supposed to win. But yeah, I would take. Don't I don't gut wrenching losses. That's the worst thing in sports. Give yeah. me a blowout every time. I suppose. I I just I also hate feeling like you're that much you're that inferior to another team and like it just literally five minutes into the game you're just like well it's over and you just kind of sit there and you watch it anyway and even though you know there's no point in like continuing the game as well forfeit at halftime and uh you're just like it's basically like if you lose at the end you're like well that was a waste of two hours yeah but like at least last night i knew it was going to be a waste of of two hours the whole time so I don't know. They both are awful. Neither one of them are fun. But at least basketball games are only two hours, and I'm only miserable for two hours instead of football. The anxiety of a close game, though, like I don't know. That's it, to it's something else for when sure. It's, when you have that anxiety all game and then you win, like the the Illinois game, then it's like yeah, I would do that over and over again. Yeah. Like I could just exist in a world where that happens to me on a loop constantly. Yeah, I would be happy. Yeah, and but losing that's like the greatest misery for me yeah like going through all that stress and anxiety only to lose the game i'm actually not gonna lie quick uh going back to football really quick i'm pretty sure the most anxiety i felt this whole last 365 days was when harrison mevis was about to kick the field goal against arkansas i'm not gonna lie i was borderline vomiting i was so nervous but anyways i was i was i was almost to that point against illinois i think yeah um also the i don't know the expectations and everything that goes into a game also matters but i think for some reason i don't feel as terrible in those moments in a football game than i do a basketball game i i agree and i think that it was mainly just because it was the arkansas game yeah and like the way it was played out and everything and i just wanted to be arkansas worse than anything in the world but typically at the end of basketball games i am like i do feel more anxiety than mm-hmm. football games for whatever reason when there's always that moment for me in a basketball game when you're winning and we've talked about this before where it's like okay there's 12 minutes left in this game yeah and it's gonna be the longest 12 minutes yeah i ever. think it can just change so easily it can just flip a switch yeah. so quickly you have to be i have my team has to be up by so much to feel good about it yeah uh, back to this Tennessee game, where Mark Smith, where'd he go? Oh my gosh! I mean, we—I mean, that's something we've talked about in the past. Was uh, Mark Smith tends to blow up in a good way against bad teams, and then disappears against good teams. But this was a new level that yeah. we haven't seen. I first mean, he game, didn't even attempt a three-point shot. First game in a Missouri uniform where he didn't attempt a three, and I think he had two points. Just that ugly banked-in shot. He banked that one in, and he made a score. I honestly didn't watch the second half that closely, if I'm being honest. Uh, he may have scored he some more. Scored two two-point field goals and was two for three from the free throw line. Okay. In 27 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I know Tennessee really guards the perimeter and they're and they're long and they they disrupt shots, but there's really no reason why Mark Smith shouldn't at least put up a couple three-pointers when like Kobe Brown's putting up multiples. He shot four. Um, Mitchell Smith actually made a, a one or two. Yeah. He was one for three. Torrance Watson actually came in and made a three. Yeah, I mean, this is the perfect game for Torrance Watson to come in because we're already losing, and, you know, if anybody can shoot us back into a game, it might be him, amazingly enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't understand why you're not – it's not like – I think Mark Smith has some range to where they're not going to guard him, you know, all the way out to where he's capable of pulling the trigger. And I just couldn't believe, and maybe if I watched it back more closely, I could see, I could maybe discern what Tennessee is doing on defense to just make that not an option. But I don't know. It seems like for all the big guard you talk that Missouri has had in recent years, they looked small 
compared to Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee's guards and like, obviously we don't really call them this anymore, but like small forwards, um, they just do it all. And they're kind of interchangeable and they can all shoot it. They can all get to the rim. They all are long and play excellent defense. So they just made every offensive possession a struggle for mm-hmm. Missouri. And even when Missouri got to the rim, they just get the shot blocked. And, yeah. you know, it took Kobe Brown doing some nifty work at the basket. I mean, that's where he was actually effective. And then he was also over four from three. He also so, traveled like three times. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. Ten- Tennessee's ranked second in defensive efficiency uh, in Kempom in the country. And I think they're going to have their way with several other SEC teams. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, um, yeah, they, they just are so tough to match up against because you can't score anything inside. And if you, if you don't shoot the three very well, then good luck. And that's pretty much what happened last night. Yeah. I mean, Missouri plays them in Knoxville later in the season. And, well, forget Tennessee. Missouri's got to figure something out shooting the ball against anybody. Oh, man. Because how – yeah, I'm going to start, like, really – hoping they give Torrance Watson some more minutes if he can at least come out and attempt some three-pointers. I mean, we need somebody that yeah. we know is capable of making a few yeah, I'm actually all, attempting these shots. I'm all for Torrance Watson getting more playing time. I mean, get him out there and just start throwing up shots yeah. because he really does. I mean, ideally, I'd like Mark Smith doing that. That That's true. But what happened there? Yeah. And that can't continue. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit privately last night. I mean – Xavier Pinson and Drew Smith are great, and you know they are excel at the things that they excel at. But neither one of those things, neither one of those people, excel at shooting. And they can make shots if they have to sometimes. But you really, ideally, don't want either one of those guys being volume shooters. And it just kind of can make them a little bit one-dimensional sometimes because the the only thing they can do is is drive to the hoop and, and get inside. And when you're playing uh, Tennessee, you don't really do that very well. You, nobody does it well. Right. So. We, we basically just – we really needed Mark Smith to step up last night and, and challenge and, yeah. and make some threes, and that was the opposite. Yeah, because they were able to sag off of everybody else. I mean, they were totally fine with yeah. literally yeah. every player shooting a three. Yep. Would have been nice to have Justin Turner, huh? <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that. Uh, if you want to be a little bit depressed, go look at he, what he's doing for Bowling Green this year. Obviously, he was the um, grad transfer that – uh, flirted with a, a few schools, Missouri in particular, but then decided to go back to Bowling Green for uh, his last season of eligibility. And he's uh, honestly, his efficiency numbers aren't quite what they have been or what they were last year. Bowling Green is like a like 125 in Kempom, so not the best team, but he's averaging like 22 points, five rebounds, five assists. Then he's shooting like 40% from 30 or something. Just under that, he did have a, a rough game shooting recently from three but yeah he's for his career he's still uh right around 40 percent with a lot of attempts yeah he's a big he's a big guard too though i think he's like six five six six but yeah he's basically exactly what missouri could use right now is a uh multi-dimensional guard that can score (laughs) and somebody that can kind of get their own shot i mean we know drew and penson are capable of doing that by getting into the paint and you know using their pivot foot well and, and getting guys off balance but they i think i don't know we saw now uh, there's a trend with three games this season against liberty bradley and now tennessee mm-hmm. where teams are just daring missouri to shoot shoot it over them shoot right. threes and they know now like if you can just run mark smith off the three-point line then y- you have no problem yeah I'm I'm really not the right person to talk about X's and O's in basketball, probably, but um, just making general observations, it, it just feels like Missouri just doesn't run their offense as well as other teams sometimes. Like, it just feels like Missouri's players are having to create their own shot so often. And, you know, obviously X can do that and Drew can do that, but they're really the only two that I feel like can do that well consistently. And, you know, Kobe can do it from time to time, but I just don't, f- I don't feel like Kobe Brown should be having to create his own shot like mm-hmm. five times a game. And it just seems like other teams just make use of cuts so well and, and just design open three through picks yeah. so well sometimes. And just, I feel like every time Missouri has the ball, it's just like, all right, who's going to try and isolate and get to the basket and 
It's yeah, just late w- in the shot clock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tennessee, not only were they making contested shots, they were also, you know, running good offense to get open looks. Mm-hmm. And they just had sequences where it, they actually reminded me, Tennessee in this game reminded me a little bit of like 2012 Missouri, mm-hmm. where they just have really crisp passing. And I don't, Tennessee this year is not offensively on the same level as Missouri that season. But that's the, I mean, and we, we did see a little bit of that in 2018 for Missouri, but obviously you had Cassius Robertson and Jordan Barnett and Jonte Porter who were all more than capable of making threes. Yeah, when you can make threes, that kind of yeah. solves all those kind of issues. And Jonte was such an excellent passing big that he was just finding guys for wide open shots. And that's when the ball movement and everything looked so crisp and they were actually putting up really good offensive numbers. It just, I don't know. But college basketball, basketball in general, has evolved into you have to be able to make shots from outside to be competitive. And Missouri, this is Missouri's going to make shots in other games, but um, this one in particular was rough because you knew you had to be excellent to compete with Tennessee. Um, basically, the anti-Florida game from last year. <laughs> yeah, we, I mentioned earlier that moment in the first half towards the end of the first half where Missouri cut it to 12 and they got a stop they were you know bringing the ball up and Pinson just launches a three like he could, four he seconds into the shot clock the crowd momentum I think and just wanted to be the hero yeah I mean yeah that would have been awesome cut it to single digits and get all that momentum but you have to know that how important this possession is yeah and really you know if he instead of shooting the three if he decides i'm making something happen here and drives to the basket and gets to the rim and maybe gets fouled or whatever Mm -hmm. then that's exactly what you want because that's how they were able to chip away a little bit at times in this game was getting to the rim and getting fouled and making free throws and we've seen missouri win games before and this season we've seen them win games when shots aren't falling by just getting to the free throw line yeah and converting for some reason they are an excellent free throw shooting team and are not very good anywhere else but uh yeah that's absolutely how missouri should try and win games is get to the line and i think at this point we can i not give up on winning games through three-point shooting but it's not going to happen as much as i think we hope that it will yeah. or that they don't they shoot more threes than they probably should yeah uh so next up on the schedule is arkansas and arkansas is coming off a Good game against Auburn, where they scored 97 points. Um, looking at Arkansas right now on Ken Palm, they're 26th. They are 9-0, and 23rd on offense, 40th on defense. Um, they've played nobody, though. I mean, Auburn was their first, the first team they've played inside the Ken Palm Top 100. And they did win on the road. Um, Auburn's 68th. So, but offensively, Arkansas is good. Uh, Moses Moody is one of the best freshmen in the country. And um, I don't know. I just, Missouri's going to obviously perform better many times this season than they did against Tennessee. But this stretch at the beginning of the season is going to be tough. Mm -hmm. And it's at Arkansas. Um Missouri's going to really have to perform well on defense to stay in this game and give the offense a chance to score enough to win. Yeah, I I think they're going to just they're going to have to play out of their minds on defense and just hope Arkansas is not having a good shooting day or else I think this could get pretty ugly. Yeah, I'm looking over Arkansas's stats and there's not really anything they do poorly on offense um they do shoot a lot of threes so if they are cold that could they could shoot themselves out of a game um but and they're gonna try to push the tempo a little bit and if if they do that better than missouri then it could be rough um moses moody is shooting 40% from three. Desi Sills is shooting 40% from three. 
and they've both attempted more than 35 three-pointers on the season. Mm. Um, if you just look up and down Arkansas's starting five, I mean, they all have an offensive rating over 112. So they're all efficient. Um, they pass the ball well. They don't turn it over. They get to the free throw line. Just, you know, one of your better offensive teams in the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, it seems like they're just so talented, and they continue just to add talent through through transfers, and obviously uh, having one of the most talented freshmen in the country helps too. But Eric, Eric Musselman, I think, is going to be good for a while there. Yeah. I, unless he leaves for a better job. I but. think that was a great hire. Um yeah, he just has this energy about him. I don't know. I think he's just a very appealing uh, coach to play for, and it just all—I don't. It seems like they're just always in the running for um, you know transfers on the on the market. It, it seems like well, Arkansas is going after generally everyone. Yeah, and I don't know how they always have room for for all these transfers and stuff like that. But they're well, just always looking to add talent. And Tennessee's done the same thing. They've supplemented their good recruiting classes with key transfers mm-hmm. and um, developed guys perfectly yeah i mean yeah how long has desi seals been there he's been there for a few years yeah he's a junior yeah so they have you know experienced players they have young talented freshmen they have talented transfers i mean they they're kind of just loaded and you they have a balanced roster that you would really want to have i would think Mm -hmm. and this is the game this is the type of game this season where we, we talk about it um in basketball a lot where you have, you know, five to eight games that are very important because you're playing against teams that are going to be around where you are in yeah. the final standings. Yeah. And we hope that Missouri's right in the mix with Arkansas, uh, Florida, LSU, um, Kentucky at the end of the season, uh, Ole Miss. So, but at the same time, this is a road game. So if you're able to split, if you're able to split this season with Arkansas and Ole Miss, probably not Tennessee Mm-mm. and then you pick up you know um, two wins against I don't know Missouri doesn't really have a, I mean, if you're able to get two wins against South Carolina to balance out two losses to Tennessee you can hover around 500 in conference just by you know you you pick up a home game after you lost but it would be nice to already have the home win against Arkansas in the bag, yeah. and then you wouldn't have to worry so much about this road game. Yeah, they, they absolutely do have to split with with the teams like like Arkansas, and if they really if they were going to pull off an improbable road win this season, this would probably be my choice. Um, obviously, Tennessee would be amazing, but yeah. realistically, this would be about the best game to do that. Just because I really do think Missouri and Arkansas will be right in there for that. Uh, third, fourth, spit, fifth spot, and I don't know. It's just winning in Bud Walton, though, is just such a, an incredible task. It seems like, and I don't know what it's going to look like, you know, without fans. But yeah, I'm assuming it'll still be very difficult to play there. Yeah, the there's other road games that Missouri will have a better chance in, but um, they won't. Those other road games won't help the resume as much as obviously this one would, mm-hmm. and this one still being somewhat reasonable. Yeah, although. If I'm going to go ahead and give my prediction, I see this obviously coming off a, a big loss where you got completely blown out. Uh, I still see like just a similar thing happening just mm. to a lesser extent. I so I say that Arkansas does exactly what Tennessee did and scores 73 points and Missouri scores 62 I got Arkansas by 11. Yeah, I think Arkansas will probably score a little bit more than that. I say 81-66. Was that 15-point mm-hmm. victory? Yeah. But if Missouri can just make some shots and keep it within, you know, if we're looking at a seven-point game with five to ten minutes left, then you just need a few plays to go your way, and you're right in it at the end. Um and we've seen Missouri be able to do that at times. And then we've also seen that, you know, seven-ish point deficit mm-hmm. just end up being a 15-point loss. Yeah. I do think that this game potentially offers the opportunity to bounce back on offense a little bit. Um, I think they just have to get the ball inside and, and, and get fouled. But if there is a game where, you know, you want 
X and Drew, may, you know, kind of creating their own shot. I think this probably makes a lot more sense than the Tennessee game. So I think I'd like to see Xavier Penson really try to get to the basket and really prioritize that. And maybe, you know, you never know. But Yeah, the game plan need – I mean, if Missouri shoots less than 20 free throws – they they're they're losing this game yeah (laughs) they need to be shooting 20 plus yeah we better hope those refs are happy in the whistles on this game i think that's going to benefit missouri probably so we're both predicting a loss and uh it's gonna be a rough rough four or five games for missouri but they have there's opportunities later in the season for some winning streaks getting right back into it yeah i think they probably will start off zero and three but i think they could they i think they could handle lsu at home i don't think lsu's quite as potent as maybe some people think they are we'll see cam thomas he's, he's good. really good yeah obviously they, they they're they incredibly talented he's gonna be a lottery pick yeah is that it i think that's it wow happy new year oh yeah all right um all right you can find uh find us on the apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts. we're on twitter and instagram at mizzou sports pod and you can email us at missouri sports pod at gmail.com you can find our t-shirts and stickers on our online shop, missourisportspod.bigcartel.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week.